Welcome to the Power Block Fitness Podcast. My name is Jason Lindsay. And my name is Kitty Truex. And we are super, super excited. Kitty, I don't know about you, but I'm super excited about our guest today. I'm really looking forward to Leah Pruitt. Uh, you know, she's, she's such an amazing, approachable, authentic, genuine energy that it was really, really fun to look you up, to dig in deep to you. And you did a deep dive on Leah, didn't you? I know you got a bunch of questions for her. But before you ask any questions, Leah, I'm going to ask you first, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thank you, guys. I am I'm super pumped to be on this podcast with you and talk about coming up on basically a year uh, of, a, of a partnership and using your guys' products. Uh, but wow. very honored. Thank you. Thank yeah, you no, much. that's Thank great. Pre- appreciate your time. We're excited to have you. Leah, when I set this up uh, with you the last few weeks with one of your peeps, it was I was informed that you're on a on a lake on a boat. And so uh, can you confirm, are you on a lake, on a boat? And if so, do you have a cocktail in your hand? What are you doing? Are you fishing? <laughs> so we were supposed to be uh, I live in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, right on the border of California and Arizona. And I have, a, I have our production team in town. We're shooting a whole bunch of digital content with our partners, one of them being Super Boats and Sparkling Ice. And we were supposed to be on the water today filming a bunch of surf. But anybody that knows, has been to Lake Havasu before, knows that the winds are treacherous. And mm. it's not not ideal surf conditions, so we didn't ended up not surfing today. But I think that makes for a better opportunity to talk to you guys on the phone. All right, wow, what, positive on purpose. Yeah, right on. We we get lucky in that situation. Well, Leah, let me let me ask if you don't mind. I want to start with uh, uh, your background. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Redlands, California, the Inland Empire, nine oh nine. Left uh, when I was nineteen, twenty years old. Lived in Atlanta, where I became. That was my first professional drag racing job. Lived in Indianapolis for eight years and then had the opportunity where I no longer needed to live at our headquarters and be with the race team and race shops and uh, chose this spot, Arizona, to spend my quote-unquote off time. And you started uh, getting into racing at a really young age, if I read correctly. I mean, we're talking like eight years old. And you come from a racing family. You want to talk about that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm 32 years old now, started racing when I was eight. My father, unlike a lot of other uh, female racers in motorsports, uh, I mean, my, my dad was a racer, but he wasn't in drag racing. He didn't hold an NHRA license. He was a street racer and ran in Bonneville at the Salt Flats, uh, chasing world records uh, a couple times a year. And so, well, my parents owned an automotive repair shop, heavy equipment, uh, front engine uh or front end alignment type of shop. And he had no boys, he had two girls, and he still, like, he wasn't gonna let him hold that back of like experiencing a motorsport uh, with his family. And in the early 90s, the NHRA came out with that junior drag race series. So basically, for those that are listening, if you've got a kid that's like five or eight or 10, imagine them ripping down at 35, 40 miles an hour. Jeez, wow. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Uh, so from there, I went to big national events uh, in California and I saw the pros. And so it's like going to a major league game, right? It's, you're playing t-ball and you go and yeah, I don't know, you go see your favorite baseball team big time and you're like, holy crap, Like this is what I do. But on a big scale, how do I get there? Um, and that's what I wanted to do and be was a professional race car driver. But I didn't have it. I didn't have a plat, uh, a path for someone like me didn't really exist. So I just kind of made my own. I drove as many cars as I could. I built my own cars and I realized 
the faster you go, the more money it takes. And the only way that I'd be able to find the money is to participate and understand communication, marketing, and business, B2B, find partners. My dream was to represent the best companies in the world to empower me to go drag racing. And here I am today. I represent Shell Oil, Dodge, um, FCA, Sparkling Ice, a number of companies that make me do what I get to help me do what I get to do. So that's, that's 25 years and, and about, you know, two, in two minutes. <laughs> this is awesome. I, this is incredible. I mean, you absolutely blazed literally your own trail, Leah. I, I did. And I, I took a lot of opportunities. There's, there's power in saying yes, there's power in saying no. And I was, I was one of those for about 10, 15 years of, uh, knowing not every, right. Not every opportunity is good as gold. And you drive some cars that blow up in your face and, partner with people that, you know, might not be the best ones that you should have, but that's how you learn your lessons at an accelerated plan or at an accelerated time is what I found. And I uh, did blaze my own trail. And now I'm on the, I feel like I'm kind of on the other side of things where I'm now talking to kids that are racing. I'm talking to so many young individuals that want to start in motorsports and don't know how and uh, just have conversations with them. I try and open some doors if I can. And I just, like with you guys, I mean, you guys were an awesome opportunity. I don't know if you guys want to go into that now of how we met, but um, it's you, the, the products that I use, the power block, change the way that I work out. And and I live in a small home just from where my, I don't know, where my workout stations are at. And like, it's just, it's been phenomenal. But you guys said yes to me. I approached you guys and, and now I have my best workout equipment, so. Let's sum that up. Well, you know, Leah, since you went there, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about it, this, you she know, went we, there. We, we, she did. We, <laughs> this is the Power Black Fitness Podcast, but it's not to promote Power Black. We, you know, we want to promote you, but uh, talk a little bit about the training with the Power Blocks and how it did change or affect your workouts. So it was beginning of quarantine, and the home I had in Arizona, I used to Airbnb, uh, and I would come and visit it when I wanted to be here. So I never had any, any, anything I really cared about outside. You know, I had all my personal belongings in a master closet. Quarantine happened and I'm like, I need to actually have a, a home. I need, to, I need to live in my home. And at this time was also starting to take, um, to date uh, Tony, Tony Stewart. And so we're home and I'm like, we are going to, we're going to need to work out. I don't have any equipment here. The gyms are all shut down. Um, what can I do? And I could only use my body weights so much. So in the rooms that I had slated for other people to stay in and, uh, in a production room was, well, how can I make the, the most of my small time with this large, small area with a large amount of time? And that's when I saw you guys on Instagram. Like I searched for you cause I had seen somewhere and I didn't remember the, I didn't remember the exact name. So I spent time, found you guys instant messaged you and said hey i know that you guys are probably getting totally blown up how can i get it? how can i get some equipment and uh, in your turnaround time especially when the entire world was looking for workout equipment and the response the energy level and then the follow-up after that and your social team being on top of finding the tags and, and like internally promoting was uh i was like these are my people <laughs> yeah Awesome. Well, you know, uh, you know, speaking about training and not necessarily about power block, 
we actually want to know what's it like to train for the G-force coming at you in a drag racer? What's it like for, you know, how do you keep your endurance up for that amount of speed and G-force coming at you, Leah? Wow. So that that's a wonderful question. Uh, there isn't a particular apparatus that I use, unlike F1 drivers who they have sustainability for their neck strengths and going through turns and they maintain those G-forces. I experience at the hit of the throttle, four and a half G-forces accelerate into six and a half G-forces by 2.2 seconds. And then by the time I get to the finish line at three and a half seconds, I'm still carrying about four G-forces, but it's not quite the push. Um, so with, with, the, with the G's being in under four seconds, it's not it's not the same as like an f-16 or f-18 fighter pilot that is carrying six g's in a long turn for 20 seconds Got it. that is why they need to wear the g shoot suits and keep their blood up so because ours is so quick of, of the release um it's like being hit by a linebacker from in front but real quick instead of being hit and then him falling on you <laughs> that's actually a really good visual thank you wow thank you for that yeah, if, if any of us have felt that, I'm assuming that that's what it would be like. Um, and so the training for that, for me, is because I drive two different cars. One, the top field dragster, 330 miles an hour. The second one, factory drag pack, which is a, a door car, 175 miles an hour. The pace of the day is what really gets you, and I think that's what a lot of people don't, um, you know, they don't see on TV. You know, we're running 14, 16-hour days from the time you get you're, you're at the track. I'm mixing fuel. So nitromethane is the heaviest fuel um, at 10.2 pounds a gallon. Gasoline is about eight. So if you've got five, five and a half gallons in a jug and you're filling up your car, uh, probably about 50 gallons during that day back and forth. That's a lot of strenuous activity in a time span before doing dress changes into not dress, but suit changes. Um, back and forth, packing parachutes, warming up the car, heading to autograph sessions, uh, participating with fans, doing track walks. That is like you barely, I barely have time to pee during the day. So you more train so, for stamina than the actual race, it sounds like. Absolutely. That's exactly it. So living wow. in Havasu, the desert's right in my backyard. I'll go and run. I'll, try, I'll do 10 mile runs um, like every other day. And then it really is the, it's, it's the energy and coming out of COVID, you I can try and train as much as possible. But once we started back racing again, I mean, you're back on your 14-hour day, and there's no substitution for it. So my um, my regimen that I have here in Havasu, so I live the other portion of time in Indiana still with Tony, but I have the mirror uh, workout. Have you guys done that? Yes. Go ahead, though. Go ahead. So, oh, I'm, I, I'm not familiar. Incredible. Yeah. Mirror? The mirror. Elaborate, please. The mirror, it is a, it is a mirror. Uh, <laughs> it's about probably five feet tall. And so it's reflective to see yourself, but inside of it basically looks like a really, really tall uh, iPhone and connects to your phone. And inside of it has these instructors that are also live because it has a camera in it and they can watch you. You can watch them or you can go into pre-recorded workouts and their guided instructions and those are the types of workouts that I like um, since I couldn't go to my, to the open gyms and the training classes anymore. So I saw that you that, actually, you took up mountain biking as well, right? I, I did. And I love it. 
funny thing, gained 15 pounds of leg muscle that by the time I got, we got out of COVID and I went to put on one of my driving suits, I was like, oh boy, this is is tighter. This is tighter (laughs) than I needed to be. And the geometry of pressing the clutch pedal and the brake and brake release and poundage and all of that, everything is so fine-tuned. Well, when you hadn't driven the car in about four or five months, now you have extra muscle. I ended up driving the car different and needing to find a way to back it down. Wow. So the, um, the the Lord actually did it for me in December. Uh, I got into it. I was kickboxing. I was sparring with a friend and ended up breaking my right foot. So I had been in a wheelchair for a month and just got cleared to fully work out about less than a month ago. So three months of no, really no cardio. Um, I mean, I could do some tonal workouts, but nothing that I love. No volleyball was, I lost that weight. I lost that muscle weight that I had gained, um, which everyone has their own different, you know, dreams and ideal body image. Of weight and all that. So well, welcome back, Leah. Welcome back to Thanks. the, the yeah. game. Uh, you were talking about the, you know, thankful for the Lord. I, I actually wanted to talk about the number of your car really quick. The triple sevens. Does, seven, that, seven, seven. does that mean anything to you? Is there any background to that? Sure, absolutely. So for one, um, because of the biblical meaning behind it. And two, in the NHRA, the way you have a car number right, uh, is where you where you live. So on the East Coast, you're in Division One. And as you move to the West Coast, California, all the way up to Division 7, Magnificent 7 is what we call our division. And uh, as, a, as a kid, I, I had picked that number. Um, I was at Bible study and had learned for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and I think it was the year that I had gotten baptized. And, uh, and I was like, man, I, I, I like Vegas. Like I was a kid, but I still love Vegas. And uh, just... I wrapped them all in together and have carried that number all the way until when you win a world championship in the NHRA, you get to carry your number that you, that you, uh, finished with the year before. So if I finish third, uh, like I have, I'm not going to run the number three, not going to run the number two. If I finish second, like I'll always run triple sevens until I win the world championship, then I'll change it to number one. Right on. Sounds like a plan. Leah. In a male-dominated sport, how have you been working smarter to change that narrative? That's a wonderful question. I believe, I believe I've been working and not talking about it um, okay. because my perception is much different, actually, than a lot of others. Because when I junior drag raced, I would say it was 50-55% females. And so I, I grew up in a non-male dominated motorsport. And as I went through the ranks and getting older, clearly understanding then that females were the minority, that was the kind of newer shock to me. So changing, working to change the narrative, the actions speak way louder because the females that are currently in this sport are very successful. From Erica Enders, four-time world champion and pro stock, Myself, um, world champion, I'm at the calibration for in top fuel of finishing in the top three consistently every race I could win. Um, so being like walking the talk and, and showing that this is a place where females can be successful, not just by a fluke, but consistently for years and now for decades, 
for us, the NHRA is many, many steps ahead in diversity and gender equality than other sports. And so we, we do talk about it and share it, but we don't like bang our chest about it and go like, look at us. We just go, yeah. we, we got here, we got here because we had pioneers in the beginning that, that stepped their foot out and were loud and proud, probably a little, probably a little too loud and proud. I would say sometimes we're now, it's just, it's more of the norm. So speaking of pioneers, five years before you were born, Heart Like a Wheel came out. I'm guessing you've seen the movie. And, I have. And do, yeah. you ha- do you have a relationship with Cha-Cha, with Shirley Muldowney? I, uh, I did see the movie. I do not have a relationship with her. I have a great deal of respect for her. I uh, have met her a couple of times. She has, uh, you know, she is a proponent of a couple individuals, females in the sport. I happen to not be one of them. And we didn't grow up on the same or from the same sides. Right. And I have a tremendous amount of respect, but you know, some people aren't for everybody. I, I, yeah. So I think that's, that's, that's what I'll share there. No, I think, well, I, I do, I do say that I do love when she does come to the races and does support, um, the way that the industry is going and the women that do come in. And so I think people expect her to be close to everybody in that way. When, when you're at that, that, that type of level, you can really only do so much. Um, And so that, that, that's where I I wanted to clarify. That's where that, my opinion is that, is that I'm okay with not having a, a relationship with her because I know I didn't, I didn't have the opportunity to start that with her. Yeah, totally understand. She looks pretty good at 80 years old though. Surely does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, and Linda Vaughn does too. Uh, have you guys been to an NHRA drag race? I have not. I have not either. Well, for maybe for those that are also listening and have not been, uh, we run typically 24 races across the country between February and November, uh, 18 different locations everywhere from Pomona, California, Denver, Sonoma, Seattle, uh, Dallas, Houston, Gainesville, Florida, and it's New Hampshire, you name it. Uh, so there's a, it's an NHRA camping world drag race near somebody somewhere. And if you've, if you've ever questioned like kind of the difference between like your heart and your soul, if you go and you feel these cars rip down the racetrack, you could feel both at the same time, like the energy and how much percussion and the rattles and the vibrations hits. You can truly identify the organs inside your body mm-hmm. be, because of the, 12,000 horsepower per vehicle of nitromethane that has just thundered down the track. So, wow. That's you come, another great do you, visual. Do you come to Minneapolis, Leah? We do. Brainerd, oh. Minnesota. Oh, yeah. So we're about, yeah. Brainerd. Wonderful area. I I would agree. It's, we've won there quite a bit. And, oh, for those that like to have like maybe a little extra tick of fun, they have the biggest campground there. They call it the zoo. People make uh, floats. It's a parade. There's concerts inside at the racetrack, and it's just a huge experience of watching drag races, but then coming back and and doing the the camp and the party thing yeah, and yeah. the and all that. Yeah, awesome. So. You know, you're talking about heart and soul, and earlier a little bit about your spirituality. I actually want to know: Do you have any rituals or things that are maybe others would view as superstitious before you do a race uh, that you've always done? I I do, and 
I actually tried this last year to get rid of all of them because I thought, you know, it comes, when you break it down to science, <laughs> those things don't matter if you're putting on your left glove before your right glove mm-hmm. or, um, I think when I, when I break down the reason that I would do superstitions is because whatever the result was, say I put on my right glove before my left glove and, you know, I took my left earring out before my right and I fist pumped my guys in their own way. And I had a, and then I ended up having a great run and I win the race. Right. Well, then you want to re you want to recreate that. Well, you recreate that, that the motions of the superstition, but then after a while, if you stop having the results that garnish that, You've got to go, okay, or I did. I was like, okay, let's just, now if I don't do something and something terrible happens, well, then I'll just go back to doing it. Um, <laughs> I I don't talk to, I don't really talk to anybody on race day. Mm-hmm. And that's from a, from a text messaging standpoint. And I started that when I won my first NHRA race. I just, I was pissed off that morning. I don't know what it was. It's like, I just wanted nothing but to win and nothing was going to distract me. Not a, not a text from my sister or whichever, um, which actually did text my mom that morning, but like any business inquiry, anything could wait till Monday. And once I got in that mode for race day and I've, and I'm just saying that, um, I guess I don't call that maybe a superstition, but, uh, also helps mentally. Boundaries. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, Leah, you're just such a, a dominating energy and almost iconic in your mm-hmm. own way, the way that you are approachable and genuine with your fans. And, you know, I kind of just want to leave it at, do you have any words of advice or words from a pro or a mantra or anything that you just want to share with everybody, with anybody uh, about yeah. where you came from, how you got to where you are, or if they're needing a little push to get them on the right track? That is, um, well... I guess it would just be my opinion for my own uh, for my own growth was you have a dream and you have a vision. By that, I mean, you know, I was married when I was 19 and I thought I would be married, race professionally a couple of years, have kids and then and then come back racing. Just life does not life sometimes is not going that direction. And so you have to be OK with having versions of a plan and really asking yourself, what about your plan do you really love? Like, what is the passionate portion? So, for instance, if somebody wants to be a professional athlete of any, of any kind, a professional racer, mm-hmm. I always ask, what about that do you love? Do you like the fact that you might be famous or get there or that the money might be with it mm-hmm. or you love the grind or you love the engineering, the, me- the mechanics, whatever it is, like knowing what that nucleus is identifying it and keeping that the priority will always get you to the end of the road, no matter what it looks like. Instead of having that ultimate vision at the end, it's kind of like start at the starting line and, and get that right first. And then you can make your way to the finish line and, and be successful. Then. So that's, that's what I've learned in my journey of the continuous growth is, is being focused on the passion part. Yes. Flexibility within your why type of, I, I love that passion. Yeah. Desire. You, you push it sister. Thank you for being a great role model of what it looks like to be a, a woman in her power, a wild woman, a wild woman. Well, thank, I, I hope you guys can come out and see the, uh, the wild woman at Brainerd. That's yeah. in August. Yeah. I uh, would love to have you out. And any, Oh man, if anybody's at the ropes 
this year and, and says that they heard this on this podcast, I will, I have a special gift for them at nice. the racetrack. Nice. I'm holding you to that, Leah. That's awesome. All right. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to be there. I'm serious. I've for never sure. watched. I think it sounds fun. Brainerd's not that far up the road from Minneapolis where, where I'm at, but. A couple of our 10,000 lakes up there. Yeah. Yeah. There's half of them are right there. Right. The, uh, <laughs> hey Leah, we got to run. We appreciate your time. We know you got to go. Um, thank you for sharing. That was, that was wonderful. That was awesome. And, uh, any, any parting words there, Kitty? No, thank you for your energy, Leah. What a what a blast you are. Absolutely, no problem. Thanks, guys, and the follow along. Uh, of course, it's NHRA, uh, which is on Fox Fox Sports One, and my Instagram is Leah Thank you all, and I uh, hope to see you at the races. Awesome. Thank you thank so you. much. Bye bye. All right, take care. Bye.